0: What is up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Monday, December the 9th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Dolphins fall to the Jets and the officials 22 21 on Sunday. We'll get you six takeaways from the game, why this was for the best bet long term. We'll break down the individual performances on Sunday, and I'll go over my list of my favorite draft prospects by position. All of that and more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Tuned In. Go ahead and leave us a rating, leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter, no matter how many times that guy tries to duplicate it. You can follow the show at LockedOnfins. We'll follow you back and check out lockedondolphins.com. We have all the written content including the recap piece up on lod.com with all of the video breakdowns. Let's jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. We have a bonus takeaway for you on today's show. So let's not waste any time and jump right in to the six takeaways from Dolphins 21 Jets 22 and I wrote the first one here in the first half when I thought he was still playing well because this tweet or idea did not age well but I'm sticking with it because this guy has been so good this year Ryan Fitzpatrick might just be the best option at quarterback next season in general when you consider that maybe Tua Tungavailoa could be gone or not in the plans because of the hip injury we know Joe Burrow's long gone he solidified that first overall pick in the SEC championship game on Saturday we know about Justin Herbert coming up small over and over again we know about Jake Fromm having a terrible uh, junior season and Jordan Love could go back as as well the veteran options out there Cam Newton will he get free all the guys that are available it might be Ryan Fitzpatrick who's the best bet for this team in 2020 as they go into year number two into the rebuild and he might not be just a placeholder yeah he is going to be a guy that's only here for another year maybe two tops but he's not going to come out there and just hold the fort down he can play good football and a lot of that has to do with his comfortability in the scheme playing the position at the best level he's ever played and the utmost confidence he has in himself because of the scheme and the way it empowers him he's getting the ball to the best option ball comes out fast he mitigates the pass protection in so many ways this was not his best game he had a horrible second half of this game but the circumstances were kind of unbelievable when you think about fourth and fifth running back on the year your fifth through seventh receivers on the year and this guy has accounted for 16 of the 22 offensive touchdowns that's 73 of the entire output And he's just 15 yards away from leading this team and rushing at 186 yards. That's not good, but obviously Fitzpatrick getting it done with his leg. So takeaway number two, it could be Fitzpatrick's show in 2020, at least to start. Takeaway number two is that I'm just not sure if Jerome Baker has a future in this particular defensive scheme. And it's something we talked about all throughout the offseason, especially with my former co-host, Kevin Dern, who gave us the the breadcrumbs that this might happen where he says this to me in a text today. Baker would be a pro bowler as a will linebacker for some team that runs a defense like Seattle the Chargers the Jaguars that Leo position where he can just play fast and flow to the ball but getting off blocks and trying to play the edge is not his thing and Baker got beaten down quite a bit in that area in the first half of this game that's been the case all year long he's just not going to stand up against the physicality of the inside game and take on blocks and you might say well they should try to find a way to get the most out of him but the way this defense excels the best is in that structure and they'll find a role for him while he's here, but I just wonder if upgrading his position might be best long-term. Number three takeaways that the red zone woes are suddenly a thing. They're, They're a thing after Sunday's poor performance in the red zone. Four possessions, no touchdowns after coming into the game as the number three red zone conversion offense in the entire NFL. A lot of that had to do with the fact that Miami can't run the ball. We've known that for a long time. It had a lot to do with the fact that Ryan Fitzpatrick had his worst game in a while, probably since he got put back in the lineup back in that Washington game in week number six. But a lot of it has to do with the injuries this team has sustained on offense. In fact, what's impressive really is the length of drives this team put together with Laird and Gaskin as the top two backs, with Gasicki and Smythe playing most of the downs as 12 personnel tight ends, and then Alan Hearns, Isaiah Ford, and Mac Hollins as your top receivers. The Dolphins had drives of 92, 67, 65, 62, 45, 36, and 56 yards in this game, so they weren't constantly turning the ball over or going three and out. They were having successful drives and moving the football. They just didn't have the matchup pieces or the running game in the red zone, two things you have to have to excel down there in this game with Devontae Parker going out with a concussion. Both he and Albert Wilson left the game with concussions and did not return. Takeaway number three, the red zone woes on Sunday were a product of the fact that Miami had so many injuries and missing players on offense. The number four takeaway was the fact that Miami was able to create some running plays in this game despite having the same offensive line and being down to Laird and Gaskin, who we all think and agree, I believe, are both better than what Kalen Balazs gave you. But the Dolphins had their highest rushing average output of the season at 122 yards and this comes against the number one run defense in the NFL in the New York Jets the Dolphins went for 122 the previous high was 109 and this was just the second game this season where Miami eclipsed 100 yards on the ground they made a change at left guard going to Keaton Sutherland over Michael Dieter who sees his 100% snap streak on the season end by getting benched to start the game. He did come off the bench later. They also replaced right guard Shaq Calhoun with Evan Baim. He too struggled, but the Dolphins did some stuff to try to find a different path to victory on Sunday, and it came via the running game, which got going with Ryan Fitzpatrick and Patrick Laird both getting involved in the running game. The fifth takeaway, just end the damn season already. These injuries are getting beyond absurd. We know the team stripped down the roster with trades and ma- basically moving on from all the veterans that wouldn't be here long term in the offseason in an attempt to kind of curate the bottom part of the roster with young guys on cheap contracts who could provide you with depth, but also come into the game in a pinch next season once this roster has been rounded out more. But it's just beyond laughable at this point. Preston Williams has his career high. He gets injured against the Jets last time. Devontae Parker has his career game last week. He leaves this game with a concussion. Albert Wilson finally gets going last week. He, too, has to leave with a concussion. We know about Xavier Howard and Rashad Jones and Bobby McCain. Just when will it end? We have three games left. It's been relentless. This team has fought and battled and taken on the personality of their head coach. But, man, this roster is just getting depleted every single week more and more. And the sixth takeaway, a quick one here, a special teams one. Jason Sanders put seven field goals through the uprights. This dude is here to stay. You watch the mechanics of him. I don't know the first thing about kicking, but he always seems to be center cut unless there's an issue with the snap. He did miss a field goal on Sunday, but Tabor Pepper's snap was a little bit low. Matt Hawk had to try to scoop it off the ground. He wasn't quick enough to do it, and that caused the mishap. So Jason Sanders, one week after scoring a touchdown, the first kicker to catch a touchdown since 19 1977, he has a team record with seven made field goals on Sunday, 21 points. It was not quite enough, but Jason Sanders certainly had a big impact in this game and damn near willed the Dolphins to victory when the red zone offense could not put things together. But if you want to put together all your podcast and your music, if you're a Spotify listener, use Spotify Wrapped to show us your top Locked On Dolphins podcast of the year. Take a screenshot and tag us at Locked On Live. And at Wingfield NFL on Twitter, and we will share and retweet your tweet. You guys can also tell me how effective Blue Chew was, but I'm not going to retweet it, but I am going to tell you about the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know it works. I'm talking, of course, about BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach, and since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. If you can benefit from more confidence where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. It's prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit bluechew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-CHEW.com, promo code LOCKEDON, one word, all caps, to try it for free, Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank him for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Yeah, I, was you I, was I think this is something we could probably talk about every single week on the podcast here, but it's the officiating in the NFL that is just at an all time low. And I think we could probably go back years on this and continue to see it just kind of devolve into what it's become now. But my goodness, these guys are costing teams games and having such a huge impact on the end of games. If you didn't see Miami, the biggest egregious call was the Nick Needham pass breakup that got overturned into a touchdown on review to Demarius Thomas. Thomas doesn't even complete the catch to the ground. Needham has his hand on the ball the entire time like the fail Mary and pulls it out as they're going to the ground. And because it crossed the plane, Thomas, who I guess had possession momentarily, gets credit for a touchdown even though he didn't catch the football. That was weird. And then of course the pass interference, the league overturned to bail the Jets out in what would have been a fourth and long field goal situation from about 55-56 yards to try to win that game. Just egregious. Then you go later on to the Patriots. They blew a fumble dead. They misruled a touchdown play at the end of the game where the Patriots didn't have challenges left because they had to challenge the ref's poor calls earlier in the game. And I'm forcing the Patriots get jobbed, but my goodness, I am not all about seeing refs decide the outcomes of games. And one last note here on that Patriots game. You watch Kyle Van Noy every single week. You're going to see a guy have a major impact as a rusher, as a run defender in the passing game, disrupting passing lanes. And if the Patriots kind of disassemble this offseason with Tom Brady, we'll see about Bill Belichick. I doubt he goes anywhere. But Kyle Van Noy is a free agent, and there is not a better fit in this league to kind of remake this Dolphins linebacker core, or maybe more so... Shift it to focus on what the Dolphins need this linebacker core to do around the vision of Brian Flores. There is nobody out there who would be better than Kyle Van Noy. The Dolphins need to pursue him if he hits free agency this March. All right, let's go ahead and talk about the individual performances here from the game. But first, the Dolphins barely got outgained, 362 to 374. They outrushed the Jets, 122 to 112. In fact, Miami allowed just 3.5 yards per carry on the ground. That was the lowest output of the season. The Dolphins got outpassed 240 to 262. They were 4 for 13 on third and fourth down. That's 30.8%. The Jets were 35.7 at 5 for 14, and the penalties, Miami had 5 for 48 yards. Miami allowed two sacks and got one of their own, and time of possession was a six-second difference from the 30 mark. We mentioned the Dolphins' drive length and red zone lack of success and all the players that got injured. But you go back to the quarterback, and Ryan Fitzpatrick did not have his best game. He missed several throws, threw way too many interceptable passes, but the way he was able to create and improvise off-script and get the Dolphins to moving the ball on third and long, continuously moving the chains this year with his scramble— And the way he's able to ID the defensive coverage and attack accordingly has just been fun to watch, but it was not his best game on Sunday. I thought he struggled. Since we talked about Fitzpatrick in the open, we'll go ahead and move on now to the running backs. And Patrick Laird, what a welcome shot to the running game, shot to the arm he has been to the running game. The intern, aka White Lightning, puts up 48 yards on the ground, 38 yards through the air, and he had two ankle-breaking plays, one on a sluggo route late in this game in the fourth quarter and also another run where he literally injured the Jets' defenders' ankles with a cut and the hole. Very nice to see him get working. I thought Miles Gaskin had some moments. He only had a few carries. Didn't have the production this week, but you can see the vision and the burst once he sees that hole open up. He'll be a viable option in inside or outside zone going forward on the back end of the depth chart at running back. At receiver and tight end, I mean, Parker was out there for just a quarter and a half or so. Made two catches and including a big play to extend a drive on third and six, but he hit the turf very hard, left with a concussion. I felt bad for him. He was trying to shake it off and get back in there, but it's just not worth it. Devonte, come back next week or in two. We'll see you then. It was an Allen Hearns type of day on the slot inside as the Jets were without slot cornerback Byron Poole. He picks up 68 yards and five catches and just does a really good job of finding those soft spots in the zone and showing his target to the quarterback. Now, speaking of that, Isaiah Ford made the most of his opportunity with six grabs for 92 yards, and a lot of those were strong hands and toughness on a number of bang-bang receptions on the inside. Good for Ford for having his best day as a pro, and Mike Gesicki thought he'd have a big day in this one. Did not follow up his career day against the Jets back in November. He caught just one pass for six yards on five targets, but the Jets did the good job of bracketing Gesicki and not letting him beat them. He did get open on the end zone on one play, but Fitzpatrick just missed him. Along the offensive line, we talked about the changes. Michael Dieter came into the game late and promptly got hit with a holding call that momentarily put the Dolphins outside of field goal range. They would return and kick the the almost game winning field goal, I should say. And I thought Keaton Sutherland in his place had a pretty good game, especially in the running game, pinning and sealing off some edges in the run game for Patrick Laird and the like. Jesse Davis struggled in pass protection, but I thought had another good day in the running game. He sealed off the edge quite a few times. And then at center and right guard, Evan Bame was back in for Shaq Calhoun, but he did not have a good day. He was consistently getting overpowered or beaten with quickness, and the same was true of center Daniel Kilgore. He's asked to reach block a lot, and he just can't get there half the time. It's pretty much a 50-50 proposition whether or not he'll get there on those reach blocks. On the defensive line, we talked about it. The Jets ran the ball 32 times for just 3.5 yards per rush. A lot of that had to do with Devon Godshaw up on that defensive line, being a part of six tackles and really pushing guys backwards and resetting the line of scrimmage. He also overpowered some dudes walking him back into the quarterback as a pass rusher. Thought Christian Wilkins was very inconsistent in this game. We'll look at his film more on the All-22 Tuesday. Gerald Willis had a couple of plays. His first, I thought, as a Dolphin, including a quarterback hit. And Charles Harris still not playing a whole lot but he made a nice play, forcing the edge back inside and allowing Vince Beagle to come from the backside to make a tackle on a Jets running play. But it was the linebackers who really had their best game in a while, I thought here. Rayquan McMillan was back to his old self, playing at 100 miles an hour, correctly IDing and pulling his trigger and getting into the gap and getting into the backfield and blowing up the fullback or just going right to the source and getting the ball carrier down. We talked about Jerome Baker's slow start and how it kind of forms this idea that maybe he's not fit for the long term, but he really played a great second half with more aggressive, reckless abandon flying in there and blowing up blocks. That was good to see him bounce back. Vince Beagle continues to be a very pleasant surprise for this Dolphins team. Part of nine stops, closed down the backside on runs away from him and held the point on runs in his direction. Andrew Van Ginkel first career sack, And on that sack, he showed you the type of traits that this scheme calls for. I almost tweeted about this during the Patriots-Chiefs game. They want to rush-contain Patrick Mahomes to keep him in the pocket because you'd rather have him throw into your seven-man coverage than allow him to break the pocket and make plays that way. But they want to get upfield, engage the tackle, eye the quarterback and then come off the block and get to the quarterback. And that's what he did. He got Donald down to the ground. Probably could have been a game winner if not for the bad call on the defensive P.I. Speaking of the P.I., Nick Needham had another really good day. The P.I. went against him, but he was great otherwise. Involved as a tackler over and over again. Had a TFL off a run blitz. He undercut some routes for a big third down breakup. And he played the ball extremely well. I think Needham is a keeper here long term. Steven Parker made two huge plays in this game. One for Miami. One Miami. One for the Jets, the first was an interception where he played a deep half in a cover two look and came down on a back uh, back foot throw from Darnold, drove on the ball, took it away, had a nice return as well. But then in that last drive where the Jets won the game, they corner blitzed and he was supposed to fill and he tried to undercut it for a pick. If he just rallies and tackles and keeps him down in bounds, it's a good play for the Dolphins, a win for the Dolphins, and a gamble you can't take when you're the last line of defense. That was probably the biggest error in the game for Miami. It was basically a rough day for most of Miami secondary and that included Ken Webster and I thought Ryan Lewis. Jamal Wiltz continues to tackle very, very well and he is so feisty when it comes to tackling. Love to watch him step up and rally in those plays. Still think he's a great fit for a dime defensive back on third down and long to come into the game and just help your tackling at the sticks. Looking forward to seeing him do more of that next season. So those are your individual breakdowns as far as the coaching staff and Brian Flores. You guys, if you watched the game, which I'm sure you did, Flores was just hot. He was on another level at the end of the game going after the officials. He wouldn't mention it in his press conference. He did a very good job in that press conference of taking accountability, saying we didn't make enough plays to win and would not give the media the satisfaction of an answer regarding the co- or the refereeing in the game, which he thought was terrible. And he showed it by freaking out on the sidelines and really showing the passion And I just see this guy, a man who just puts everything he has, all of his passion, all of his heart, all of his soul, and all of his spirit into this game. And it's the most admirable thing I've seen from a Dolphins coach really since Don Shula. I I really enjoy watching someone do what they love with passion, and you can tell this stuff matters to him. And I, I compared myself to him in the Locked On Dolphins article because this industry for me has been one that has been fueled entirely, or me making it into the industry has been fueled by my passion and my relentless desire to win. And that's what Brian Flores has. And his team knows that it rubs off on his team. And that's why this team with nearly 50% undrafted free agents and 10 of its original projected opening day starters now gone, either to trade or injury, that team that has been assembled for the for basically the purpose of losing is a two point conversion in the Washington game and botched officiating in this game from a five and four record post the bye when the Dolphins were the worst team in national football league history through their first four games. He brought them back to do something like that. I know close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, but my goodness, what a job Brian Flores has done. The team will take on that personality and this team will be really, really well off for that in the future. This team has been talented before. They've lacked toughness, smarts, and disciplined football. Now they are all of those things. They're just missing the talent. But with 14 draft picks, 6 in the top 60, and nearly $130 million in cap space, those final ingredients will come in March and April, and everything will be gravy as early as 2020. And it is almost 2020, and if you're not using a good mattress, then what are you doing? The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amounts of both sink and bounce. Get $100 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash LOCKEDNFL and using LOCKEDNFL promo code at checkout. That's one word, all caps, NFL. Terms and conditions apply. If you can't visit Casper right now, you can find this and all other offers from Locked On sponsors at LockedOnPodcast.com slash offers. Man, I was so proud of my Nkembe Matumbo tweet after Nick Needham swatted a pass right back into the face. Of Sam Darnold, but man, like it's okay to share things and be part of the same community. That's what this is all about, creating content for the Dolphins fan, but just don't repurpose my stuff as your own, please. I would appreciate it if you didn't do that. I think that's a pretty fair request. And speaking of fair requests, the Dolphins did their part to keep themselves in decent position in the draft. We go to tankathon.com and take a look at where they fall in the draft right now as the Dolphins' current picks are sitting at 4th, 22nd, and 23rd as the Steelers beat the Cardinals. Another very lucky victory for that team. Houston falls to the Denver Broncos, so that pick gets a little bit better. But still, both those teams probably going to make the playoffs. Both those picks probably going to fall in the early to mid-20s. And I think it's safe to say that Minka Fitzpatrick pick has backfired in a way. The value of the pick has backfired because remember, he didn't want to be here. So at least they got something for him. But it just didn't work out in the grand scheme of things. I would still do it 100 times out of 100 because the truth is that pick should have been a top 10 pick. I've never seen a team as lucky as this Pittsburgh Steelers team in 2019. It's crazy. The turnover differential, winning games on defensive scores or punt returns or opposing teams missing field goals. This is an every week thing for them. And somehow they're 8-5 and five despite the fact that they cannot move the ball on offense. It's totally crazy. For the Dolphins standpoint, it was good process, bad result. We need to understand the difference between those two things. As far as the top of the draft goes, Miami is comfortably in at the number four position. They are a half game above Detroit and Arizona, both at 3-9-1. Miami's four ninety winning percentage is pretty much in a cluster with a bunch of teams. Had the Dolphins won that game, they would fall all the way to number eight, right in front of the Atlanta Falcons, who have a much stronger strength of schedule than Miami. So these next couple of weeks could put Miami somewhere in that four to eight range. That's probably going to be where the Dolphins draft. Unless they lose the next three games, then they'll probably have pull up into the top three okay championship Saturday has come and gone in fact the entire college football season has now come and gone what a sad sad day the Cougs did get voted into the freaking Cheez-It Bowl against Air Force that's going to be fun to lose that game talk about embarrassing but let's go ahead now and talk about my favorite player at each position after watching every single week of college football and breaking this stuff down for you guys. And I want to make it abundantly clear. This is not the best player at each position. It's the player that I think makes sense for the Dolphins in a scheme fit for who they might have liked at the position for the way they're built, the prototype, but also value at the given spot they could be available at in this draft is also taken into account here. Most of these guys are probably first round picks. A few of them are second and third round picks. And there's one guy who, I have no idea where his value is right now. Let's just go ahead and start at quarterback. You all know this by now. Tua Tungvaluwa had that press conference on Thursday. It sounds like he's going to go to the draft if you ask me. I think someone will give him an insurance to draft him high enough to where he comes out and takes the money. Probably redshirts next season, at least starts the year on the PUP. He is just an absolute glove-like fit in this offense, an offense that empowers a smart, cerebral, accurate quarterback who can make plays off script. That's Tua Get this guy in here, marry him up with Brian Flores because these two dudes are very much the same in the way they're measured in their leadership and the alpha mentality they have, but also a gravitating personality that really attracts people towards them. Tua and Brian Flores is a dream come through. I never thought would happen, but I think it's possible. Make it happen. And then the best running back in the class is the one I put up here, J.K. Dobbins from Ohio State. We saw what he did against Wisconsin the other night. He and Jonathan Taylor going back and back, What a gr- back and forth, what a great running back matchup that was. You saw Travis Etienne go nuts in the ACC championship game, Zach Moss in the Pac-12 championship game, tons of good backs this year, but Dobbins for what he can do in pass protection in the passing game, lateral agility, explosive home run threat. Good hard nose running. This guy is a perfect fit for Miami. J.K. Dobbins, Ohio State, the top running back. Wide receiver T. Higgins from Clemson. I went with him because they like Devontae Parker. They like Preston Williams. They obviously like Mac Mac Hollins. They like tall receivers. I think that's become pretty clear. Both those guys... Parker and Williams were favored over guys like Wilson and Grant, so I think they want tall receivers, and if they want to go after a receiver in the back end of the first round, T. Higgins should be on the board. He is a friggin' alien who can pluck everything, three touchdowns in the ACC championship game. At tight end, I wanted to find a guy that could both block and score touchdowns in the red zone, and there is a guy that I forgot about earlier this season, but went back and watched some of his tape over the weekend. His name is Albert Okuwe Bunam. Got that? Albert Okuwe-Bunam from Missouri. He's got over 20 career touchdowns. He's about 255 pounds. He can block. I think he's a good fit for what this team needs on the outside part of the inline wide tight end position. On the offensive line, I took three players, a tackle, a guard, and a center. Alabama's Jedrick Wills is the tackle. I think he is a perfect fit at right tackle for this team. Good in pass pro. Nasty mean streak in the running game. They'll like him a lot. And I think the guard from Oregon, Shane Lemieux, is right up this team's alley. Tough, Physical, smart, competitive, knows how to pick up stunts and games, knows how to drive guys off the football, but he's also fluid enough to get out in space as a pulling guard. I think he's a great fit for Miami. 52 career starts at Oregon. That's what they like on this offensive line. At center, another first-round possible draft pick here, Creed Humphrey from Oklahoma. He is just an ass kicker, and that's all there is about that. He is a good fit here with the mentality and the culture in Miami. On the interior defensive line, I put Javon Kinlaw. Yeah, you could probably put Derek Brown up there, but I don't think Miami will take him with their first pick. I think Kinlaw is explosive, gives you pass rush and position versatility. If you want to go in the first round after an interior defensive lineman, one of those Steelers or Texans picks, Javon Kinlaw from South Carolina makes a lot of sense. At the edge position, I still don't think Chase Young's a fit here. I don't think AJ Epenesa is going to be in the cards because I think he goes somewhere in the 8 to 12 range where Miami will not pick. So I'm taking Penn. State edge, Gross models long, strong, can hold the point, rush the passer, play multiple positions. He makes tons of sense. At linebacker, I use this position for Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, although you could put him anywhere. If this guy got drafted tomorrow by the Dolphins, he would be your best edge rusher, your best stack linebacker, and your best safety. He is an absolute freak. I think the best overall player in this class. Period. At cornerback, I put Jeff Gladney from TCU. Had to get out of the first round here because I think Okuda goes top five. I think Fulton goes top 15. And Gladney comes from that Gary Patterson defense that plays a lot of man coverage. He's long, likes to press. Good fit here in Miami. And at safety, another first-round pick, Antoine Winfield from Minnesota. He can play the box. He can go back and intercept seven passes for you like he did this season. Great tackler, alpha leader, and he has the excellent NFL lineage of Antoine Winfield Sr. So It's Tua, Dobbins, Higgins, and then Okuwebunam, Wills, Lemieux, Humphrey, Kinlaw, Grossmottos, Simmons, Gladney, and Antoine Winfield. That is going to be my time on this edition of the Lockdown Dolphins Podcast. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Lockdown Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at Wingful NFL. Follow the show at Lockdown Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockdownDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.